Hi, we're so excited that you stopped by to check out this week's podcast. We hope that you will be blessed by the sermon. If you'd like more info about Providence, visit our website, providencecommunity.org. We hope to see you soon. Wow, that was a big honor. It feels like I should be doing a dance or something, you know, just... I should tell you a quick story. The other day, I saw my phone ringing, and I answer the phone. I see it's a Hanover number, and there's an old lady that answers the phone. She's like, hi, Tony. Is it Tony? And I'm like, hi, it's Marcel speaking. Hi, Tony. Is that you? Um, I know it's Marcel speaking. Tony, is that you? And then um, she doesn't realize she didn't cut the call off, so she's talking to her husband. She's like, I don't know who this guy is that just answered the phone, but I asked to speak to Tony, but there was this Chinese guy that answered the phone. <laughs> As you can hear, we're not from here. <laughs> but we're not from China. Um, we're from South Africa. It was such a funny story. I, um, because I had the phone, I put it on loudspeaker so that Stasha could hear this conversation. And then a moment later, the husband also tries and calls me, and I'm like, hi, it is Marcel speaking. And it's like, he didn't even say anything. Um, I want to take a moment just to, just to highlight something that is really important. Um, Calvin Brain and his um, team they, he's part of a ministry called SIM, and they do an amazing job of equipping Namibia, um, leaders in Namibia, um, with good, solid truth, and enabling them to be better at what they, God has um, called them to do in Namibia as leaders. Now, SIM is doing a trip, again, um, to Namibia in April, and there's still some um, space available on the team for people to join. And um, Calvin just asked that I open this up to the church. And if you're interested in joining this SI, um, SIM team to go to Namibia um, in April, please come speak to me. You can even speak to Calvin if you know him. Um, but the important thing is that they need confirmation by the end of March. Um, because there's a lot of planning, or not end of March, end of this month, sorry, end of February. So if you're interested in this, or maybe you want some more information about what exactly is going to be happening, how much time you'd need to be able to take off, then please do come speak to me or to Calvin. And just remember, they kind of want to get the team ready by the end of February. So um, just bear that in mind. Um, well, I've already introduced myself. Mike did a great job at introducing me, so there's not too much that I want to say about myself any longer. But I just want to take a moment to say that um, I'm very honored to stand here this morning. Um, I love the way if you have someone like Coach doing the transition and um, you think about the great people that have stood here and shared the word, I think of blessing. I think of Nathan. Um, I think of um, Kelly Lara that recently also shared this pulpit. Then I'm thinking, Lord, who am I to be able to just be able to share here? So I'm so honored. Thank you for taking a moment to this morning to listen. And um, I'm so grateful to Nathan as well that he trusts me with this opportunity because it's a big thing. I can easily mess it up and then none of you are going to come back next week. But um, that's not what's going to happen this morning. I'm just going to pray for a moment. Lord God. 
I put in my time, I've got five pages of notes here, but these people didn't come to encounter me, they came to encounter you. So in this moment, I pray, God, that you just pour out your anointing and grace to, to take what I've prepared, and I believe you inspired this, and to take it further in the hearts of each person that is present here this morning. And Father God, I just want to say, Lord, I'm in your hands, just lead me by your spirit. Um, help me to focus on the things that are really important, and if there's anything in here that doesn't need to be said today, just point it out, and Lord, just come and touch our hearts, prepare our hearts, and we ask it in your name. Amen. So, my wife and I recently joined the Y. We arrived in October 2018, um, December we joined the Y, and I was excited about this because I'd get to swim, um, I'll be able to swim again because back home, our town didn't have a swimming pool. So I decided I'm gonna do this the right way. I'm online, I'm in the States now, so it's online shopping. I order myself goggles, um, I order myself jammers. Do you know what jammers are? Those, they're those, those hot pants that the swimmers wear. And don't worry, I got the ones that are fitting for a pastor because you get the short ones and you get the longer ones. I got the longer ones. <laughs> I'm excited. The stuff, it all arrives and I can't wait. The same day it arrived, I told Stasha, I'm going to drive over, I'm going to go for a swim. So I've got my whole kit. I arrive at the pool. I've got my jammers on. I've got my goggles. I even have got you know, the little swimming cap, it's awesome. And I've, as I walk in, I've realized I feel totally out of place because he has this 30-something-year-old wearing tight, hot pants, and he's got, he's got slight muffin tops. And I stand there, and I'm like, this is so strange. And anyway, I get in the pool, I start swimming, and I do a couple of laps. But as I'm, like, doing the crawl, and I, I, I lift my head up every now and then just to catch a breath, I see the lifeguard is pacing along the pool. And I'm swimming, I'm giving it my best, and I reach this side of the pool, and I turn around, and I'm going. And then when I look this side, I see, oh, my word, the lifeguard is pacing with me. And I start getting nervous because I'm feeling good. I'm like, I'm killing this. But I realize even the lifeguard is able to just keep up with me and he's walking around. But I'm, I'm starting to think like all eyes are on me and I feel a bit out of place. And I start to get nervous because I realize I'm obviously not as good as I thought I am because the lifeguard is keeping very close to me. But in any way, I'm done. I did a few laps and I feel great. You know, like after you've done a workout and you go and stand in front of the mirror, you've lifted weights and then you stand there and you're like... I get out of the pool. I seriously, I honestly feel like Zac Efron for a moment. And then it, reality heat hits me again because I realize I'm wearing hot pants and I've got slight muffin tops. So I'm not that good. But now the, the big moment comes because I've got a kickboard and I have to return the kickboard. But it's on the other side of the pool. And it's like the walk of... You have to do this long walk. It's this parade to get to the other side. And I'm wearing jammers and it's just not the most attractive thing to walk around in. So luckily I've got my kickboard and I've got some cover, I walk over, I reach the other side, I put the kickboard back on the shelf and I don't know what I do wrong, all the kickboards tumble down. <laughs> the Olympic swimmers busy training, they stop, the floaters, I call them the floaters. The, those ones that kind of, I don't know whether they're swimming training or what they're doing, but they're kind of just floating around in the pool. Everyone looks up. And there I'm in the corner with my jammers and my slight muffin tops, and I've got everyone's attention. Everyone now knows who the South African is that comes swimming. 
But leaving there, I knew I had to work on my swimming technique because I had everyone nervous, even the lifeguard. I got to know him by the, in the meantime because I realized if that guy's gonna have to save my life, I need to know who he is. Um, so, but I leave there knowing I need to work on my swimming technique. I need to improve things. I get back home, I go online, I, I read things on um, Google. I even watch a few YouTube clips. And there's this amazing um, Olympic coach, American guy, Olympic swimming coach, and he's got a YouTube channel, and I actually start watching a few of his videos, and it's really interesting. And he starts speaking about this thing called the rule of inertia. And it's basically what inertia is, is it's the property that makes a body oppose a force that wants to make a change its momentum. So something, a body that is stationary, there is inertia, when you try and get it to move. And the same way when something is already in momentum moving, there's inertia that stops it from, that makes it difficult to stop that thing. So you wanna try, the big thing is what this coach is getting to and what this means for swimming is that when you're swimming, you wanna try and maintain the motion, because every time you lose pace or every time you stop, it requires great energy to restore your motion or to restore your pace. It made a lot of sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. But the question was, how do you maintain inertia when swimming? You see, I realize I need to improve um, my efficiency as I'm swimming because I'm not efficient and that's what's making the lifeguard super nervous. And I realized I had to work on my kick. And it's very interesting. Imagine me swimming <laughs> horizontally through a pool. Imagine my chest, I'm uh, sorry, my back and my shoulders creates a, a high extreme or a line. And imagine my chest creates the bottom extreme. So imagine as I'm swimming horizontally through a pool, there are two lines that are formed by the extremes of my body, and that creates the streamline. And basically, when you're working on swimming, you want to try and get your kick to be, for your kick to be as efficient as possible, you must try and keep your kick between those, the high and the low extremity. And then you're going to work on maintaining your inertia. And the thing is, every time you've got a random kick that's above that line or a random kick that's below that line, you're actually wasting energy and you're working against your motion. And I realized I was just kicking everywhere. I was just trying to look, I was looking like a drowning whale. <laughs> um, or a beached whale, maybe. But the thing is, this is, not a, this is a sermon that you came for today, not a swimming lesson. Now, when Nathan invited me to, to speak um, a few weeks ago, he said we're gonna be speaking about kingdom family. And he encouraged me, well, Marcel, you the, the kids pastor at the church, consider speaking about children or about parenting or something like that. And the thing is, I realized that I'm a newbie parent. I only have six months and three days of experience when it comes to parenting. And there's people in front of me today that have got decades of experience. So I'm very humble to stand here today and speak on a topic of kingdom family, to consider even speaking about kids and never mind parenting. In South Africa, we have a proverb that pertains to parenting. And what it says is it, it's, it teaches you, be careful what you tell a parent about 
their child while the wheat that is still on your field is green. Do you know what that means? So be careful when you tell a parent, hey, your child really need, you need to focus on that and that and that when you still have a young child because one day your young child is gonna reach that age and he might do exactly the same thing. And that's what this proverb teaches you. So today, I realize I don't really have the credentials to speak about parenting. But what I do have, I'm gonna come and bring it and I'm gonna share it. And I'm trusting that these principles that you can take from this, and whether you're a parent or you're just an individual who's just a single or married, this is something you can take and apply it to life. So one evening as I'm busy reading, on my couch, I pick up James Dobson's book on raising boys. And now as I'm reading this book, it all makes sense to me how a swimmer with tight jammers, a swimming lesson, and raising kids and doing life all relates to one another. Because James Dobson, he has this quote, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna quickly read this quote. Parents should seek to just help their kids navigate through it rather than try to fix everything that bugs them as parents. And when he says this, he's speaking in the context of the challenges of parenting and the challenges that you face in life or that your kids face. And then it all clicked. Because you see, one of the greatest reasons why we struggle through life and why we struggle as parents is because we don't maintain inertia. We don't maintain that motion of moving forward. Now, James Dobson's quote might be a key that can help us to understand how we can maintain the motion of moving forward. As parents with our kids or just merely as as an individual, Now let's take it back to the swimming illustration. You see, as parents, or whether you're an individual here today, we all need to navigate life. And you would all agree that we we have highs and we've got lows. You know, one of the best parenting advice I ever received was was from our elders back home in South Africa. They came to us one day and he, he said, Marcel, parenting is simple. Prepare yourself for the greatest highs and the lowest lows. And then he walked off. (laughs) And that is what life is. Life is navigating life in the midst of those extreme highs and those extreme lows. And the thing that we need to realize is is it's between those extreme highs and lows where where we can reach greatest efficiency to move forward in life. And as parents and as individuals, a lot of times these extremities are created by real, by realities that are just, and there's many possible factors. I'm just gonna just mention a few. Maybe it's you or your child, anxiety, bullying at school, rebellion in your, in your teenager. Maybe it's a deep fear or it's a lack of confidence, behavioral issues, stress. Maybe you've got a disability, loneliness, loss, Last three I could think of, anger, grief, addiction. All of these things are things in life. Sometimes it's just the macaroni cheese burning on the stove that causes the highs and lows in life. Sometimes it's not even these big things, but the the thing we need to realize, realize is that all of these things create extremes that can mess up 
our flow to move forward. I'm going to page over, take a deep breath. Okay. Now, the thing is, how do we bring what James Dobson shares and his quote, how do we bring that into perspective? Because you see, this, each of these situations where we face the highs and lows of lives, we've got one of two responses we can choose from. We can try and fix everything, or we can try and navigate ourselves or our kid through it. I'm going to say it again. We can try and fix it, or we can try and navigate ourselves or our child through it. And you see, when parenting, um, sorry, when parenting or life throws us those extremes and we try to fix everything, the thing that we don't realize is we start stopping, start stopping, start stopping when we try and fix every little thing. And all we're doing is we're burning a load of energy and we're never really moving forward with momentum. I was taking some time to think, what is the thing that causes us, that inspires us to try and fix everything. I think it is our pursuit for perfection. And I, I'm gonna say something and I want to ask you just to think about this for a moment. In our pursuit for perfection, we sometimes just create more extremities. I wanna say that again. In our pursuit of desiring to seek perfection, trying to fix everything, all we're really doing is we're just creating more extremities. What am I seeing with, with, saying with extremities? Highs and lows. Now, I know it's, there's a lot to it, but I want to ask, just give me some time to create some context. The thing is, even science makes it obvious that if we don't maintain inertia or that, that momentum of moving forward, we are wasting energy. But today, you didn't come for a science lesson. The thing that you came, we want to know what the Word of God says, because that's what really counts. The question is, if James Dobson in this quote says that you have to navigate your kid or your own life through a challenge instead of trying to fix it, what does that really mean? Does that mean that we don't respond to highs and lows in life? Does that mean we, um, that there's no consequences or we stop disciplining? Does it mean we ignore the problem or does it mean we just wait for better days or for the thing to fix itself? Let's answer that. But before we go on, I maybe just wanna leave this quick note with you. The one thing we, we need to realize is that navigation requires that you maintain your focus on the thing that provides direction towards your goal. Let me explain it this way. When you're riding a bicycle, where do you look? You look in front of you. You don't look at the pedals. Because if you look at the pedals, you're gonna probably go into a tree. So, when we navigate, we keep our eyes focused on that thing which directs us towards our goal. And that's how you navigate. But let's jump into the Bible. You see, speaking about life and speaking about parenting, we sometimes wonder, what can I learn from Jesus? Because have you ever thought about this? Jesus was never married and he didn't have kids. But then I thought about this. He maybe wasn't married and he maybe didn't have kids, but he surely had 12 disciples that sometimes acted like children. And I'm not saying that in a demeaning way. Um, his disciples were amazing. But 
It reminds me of this piece in scripture in Luke 9 and 10, and you're welcome to turn to Luke 9 because we're gonna kind of work through there. And when you go through this, you can remind that, that Jesus also experienced the highs and lows of life. When you, when you think of his disciples as sons that he had around and that he had to train and teach. Now let's jump into Luke 9 and uh, you're going to see, I'm not going to go into all the details, but we're going to just kind of journey through this. Now, Luke 9, verse, verse 1 to 6 is an amazing little portion because we see in this portion, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. But before he sends them out, he equips them with power and authority. And he basically tells them, go and do four things. Or he mentions four specifics. I think there's a lot more that they did, but there's four specific things. Deal with demons, preach, heal, and live off the kingdom's provision. When you go to verse six, it says the following. Um, so they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So we get an idea that two of the things they at least did well, that was healing and preaching. It's interesting, they don't mention anything about them dealing with demons or they don't mention anything about their success on relying on the kingdom's provision. Just bear that in mind. But let's jump to verse 10 to 17. Over here we see how that which Jesus equipped his disciples with, how now it's getting to the real test because Jesus is busy ministering to 5,000. It comes to a point where they realize, well, these guys need to get home or we better feed them. The disciples come to Jesus. They tell Jesus, you know what? Maybe it's better you send them home. Let's just remember, what did Jesus just do in, in verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6? He just taught them how to handle this type of, um, um, of scenario. Actually, he equipped them. He gave them the power and the authority to tap into the kingdom's provision. That's all they needed to do in that situation, but they already forget it. <laughs> it sounds just like kids to me. And what does Jesus have to do? He has to step in and he has to navigate them on how to do this. And Jesus stirs up this amazing miracle. And it reminds me of life. How many times do you have to tell your child, hey, or you just told your child, do this and this and this, and then only 10 steps later, they've already forgotten what you told them. How many times do we as individuals struggle with the same thing over and over again? But let's go to verse 18 to 20. This is an awesome piece because what I'm trying to illustrate is you're gonna start seeing the highs and lows of these disciples and we're gonna start seeing how Jesus handles these moments. Um, verse 18 to 20 is a high for Peter because it's a moment where Peter opens himself to kingdom perspective. He receives revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus says it's on this revelation that the church will be established. But if you read your Bible and if you also use Matthew to understand that section, very soon after, Jesus has to rebuke Peter, Peter and says, Peter, you are offending me. Talk about a high to a very much of a low. 
Let's go on. Let's go to verse 27 to 36. If you go to this section, I love this part. Because Jesus comes to Peter, James, and John, and he tells them, hey, guys, get ready. We're going to go up the mountain. I want you guys to come with me. We're going to pray together. And this is the part where Jesus gets transfigured. Do you know what I love in this verse? If you read verse 32, you realize that Peter, James, and John fall asleep while they're supposed to be praying. And it's funny because you, you, it seems like this becomes a reoccurring problem because later on you find them again sleeping when they're supposed to be praying. And it's quite strange because Jesus is transfigured and I can just imagine Peter kind of waking up on the job, you know. He's supposed to be praying, but he kind of, he's out of his slumber and yes, Jesus and he's transfigured. And what is Jesus, uh, what Peter sees, he sees Jesus, but he also sees Elijah and Moses on either sides of Jesus, and Peter, he kind of blurts out, hey guys, we need to build a tabernacle for these three guys. But I don't think Peter was ever supposed to say anything, because do you know who was the person who was supposed to speak at that moment? God the Father. And you see how Jesus kind of just gets his foot in his mouth. Let's go to verse 37 to 42. In this part, it's very interesting. Jesus has to deal with the demon and heal a sick boy. But if you read verse 40, Jesus obviously does that. But when you read verse 40, you get some insight into what happened here. The father of the boy comes to Jesus and tells him, Well, I approached approached your disciples to deal with this, but they were unable to do it. Could you remember in Luke 1, uh, Luke 9, verse 1 to 6, what did Jesus do? He gave them power and authority to deal with demons. Could you remember I mentioned it in verse 6 of Luke 9, it mentions that they did well at preaching, and they also did well, the other thing was um, at healing, but it doesn't mention anything about the other successes. Do you realize that there's highs and lows in the lives of these disciples? Let's take it further. Verse 46 to 48, this is a great moment, a great low for the disciples. They're busy arguing with one another. What are they arguing about? Who is the greatest amongst them? That doesn't seem very Christ-like to me. Verse 49 to 50, I love this part as well. I've been saying this for each section. I love this part. I love this part. (laughs) John proudly comes to Jesus and he tells Jesus, Jesus, you won't won't imagine what I just did. I forbade someone from casting out a demon. I I find that so interesting. John is forbading someone for dealing with a demon, something that they themselves couldn't even get right. Do you know what Jesus' response is? Jesus responds to him and says, John, I need to correct you. This guy is actually on my side. I wonder if Jesus maybe thought of telling him, John, have you realized this guy is getting something right that I've equipped and empowered you to do, but you're not even getting it right? Mm. Talking about highs and lows, these disciples are hitting them high and they're hitting them low. And then Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem in verses 51 to 56. And we know that the Samaritans, that village, they reject Jesus. What does the two, what does, um, 
What does, uh, I just want to get to my notes, James and John do? They go to Jesus. They say, Jesus, do you know what? We've got a great suggestion. <laughs> just as great as the time when we had to feed the 5,000 and we suggested send them home. Hear what their suggestion is. Jesus, these people don't know how to honor you. Should we call down the fire of heaven to consume this village? And Jesus is like, no, guys, that's not what we're doing in this moment. I've been saying this every time, but now we're really at my favorite part. Luke 10, verse 1. I hope you're going to see what I've been saying. I'm going to read this part. Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, I wonder if you can put in there, after these challenges, the Lord appointed 70 others also. <laughs> Let that sink in for a moment. I've just mentioned we've gone through just a few highs and lows. What does Jesus do? After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. The question is, did Jesus try and fix everything? Or do we see a lifestyle of him trying to, get his, to navigate his disciples through things? Was Jesus looking for perfection? trying to fix everything, or was he navigating his disciples? One would think that after Jesus put his whole strategy in Luke 9 of sending the disciples out two by two, one would think that he would call off the project. One would think, hey, maybe one would think and imagine Jesus would say, hey, guys, let's just wait a minute and just fix all the bugs in the system. You know what, if it's my opinion, and if Jesus was a church pastor, I probably would have suggested, let's get back to the drawing board with this whole discipleship program. Because it wasn't that successful, in, from my view. Because I see the disciples having, they, they have these highs and they have these lows, but they definitely missed it a whole lot of occasions. But the interesting thing is, does Jesus try and fix all the bugs in the system? No, he does the total opposite. The thing is, at no point do I see Jesus saying, okay, guys, stop, wait, let's get back to the classroom. At no point does Jesus say, whoa, you guys have just messed up. Let's get back to your training before we continue. None of that we see. The crazy thing is, after this whole test run, Jesus releases another 72 imperfect people who are probably going to make mistakes. He goes and releases another 70, um, 72 that would probably test the highs and the lows of life. Do you know what's interesting? Um, I said 72. Sorry, I want to just correct 70. You know what's interesting? This 70 was symbolic to the Jews of they believed that there are 70 Gentile nations. So Jesus is willing to release 70 imperfect people that he knows that sometimes they're going to miss the mark to go do one of the most important things of reaching the 70 Gentile nations. The thing is, Jesus didn't try to fix everything. He helped his um, disciples navigate through challenges. Why? 
because he wanted to see them grow in the fullness of who he called them to be rather than get stuck in the shortcomings of who they were in the moment. Can I repeat that again? Jesus chose to help navigate his disciples through challenges so that he could call them and help them grow into who he called them and equipped them to be rather than get them stuck in the shortcoming of who they were in the moment. And that makes me realize what Jesus was really after. And this is exactly what James Dobson wants us to understand. This is what it means to maintain inertia, the momentum of moving forward. I just, sorry, I just want to quickly page in. You see, maybe we should consider in our own lives or as parents and with our kids, we should consider stop trying to fix every mistake we see in our lives or in the lives of our kids. And instead, we should consider navigating our own lives or helping our kids navigate through the extreme highs and lows without stopping them so that they can rather maintain a, a motion forward into who they are equipped and called to be in Jesus Christ. And this is what I truly believe it means to live from the grace of Jesus, to grow in the character of Jesus. I'm gonna say this again. This is truly what I believe, what it means to grow in the, um, sorry, to live in the grace of Jesus so that you can grow in the character of Jesus. And earlier I asked, so navigating through life instead of trying to fix everything, does that mean we don't discipline? Does that mean we don't respond? Does that mean we don't train? No. It merely means that when we do respond, when the situation does call for discipline or we train or we set a consequence, it is done in order to call forth the full character and nature of Christ in our child or in our own lives. It is not done seeking perfection. It is rather done keeping our eyes focused on the goal of where God called and equipped our child or our own life to be. I want to ask you this question. Do you, if you're a parent and you've got children, do you know what this end goal, what this, this picture is that God has for your child? Maybe if you're just here as an individual, I want to ask you this morning, do you know what your picture looks like? Because if we don't have that picture, we don't have something that we can use to navigate towards and we're going to get stuck in the moment of the shortcoming. Before little Noah, our baby, was born, I said, God, I want to, and I'm sharing this not to brag, I'm sharing this to encourage you to consider maybe trying doing this. I said, God, before this little boy is birthed forth, give me vision for him. Do you know what's the type of crazy things I pray for my little boy? I pray things that that his DNA and genes would be so blessed that if they ever had to study his DNA and genes, that they would find answers to incurable diseases. Do you know why I pray that? Not because he's amazing, because he's got the nature of Christ in him. When I, when I pray for my little boy, 
I humble myself and I say, God, we already give him over to your calling. We pray for things like, Lord, if he has to be the president, take him. We pray things. We say, God, let his, the wisdom and insight you deposit in him, let it be in demand in the nations. I want the nations to consult with my son. I pray, and I, I always say this, Lord, let his testimony establish your kingdom all across the earth. Now I'm praying for the grace that I will not parent in the moment of his shortcoming, but when the parenting and the real tough parts come, because I'm still in the easy part, guys. I've got a six-month and three-day-old baby. He's sweet. He's just cute. The difficult times are probably still coming. But now what I'm praying is, God, give me the grace that in those moments, I'm not going to focus on the shortcoming in the moment, but I'd remember how I prayed for his DNA to cure, for his calling to impact, for his wisdom to change this world. If you give someone the big picture, they will abandon the small failure. Give your child the, give picture, the big picture. I want to say, please just have grace with yourself and allow yourself to have a big picture. And when you do that, you're going to see how you abandon the small failure. Maybe your small failure is every time you light that cigarette. Maybe it's something totally different. Maybe it's something small. But allow yourself the big picture. Then you see how easy it is just to abandon the small failures. I'd never forget. I don't know if I was stupid enough or if it's just it's God's grace. <laughs> but I was, when I was young, it's a long story. I was 16. I had the privilege of going on an overseas trip to a church in Asia. As I walked through the doors in the children's ministry, I, I experienced God saying, Masa, you called to ministry. I go to my dad and I say, Dad, at the age of 16, I've been called to ministry. Not very wise to say that because I, was, I still had to turn 17 and 18. <laughs> and turning 17 and 18, I could remember, I, I compromised a bit. Not big things, but I just, I was fooling around. I could remember going to parties and I wouldn't drink, um, I would only drink alcohol that is, that see-through because I know that they wouldn't smell on my breath if I go back home. <laughs> I had all these tricks and these things. Do you know what's the interesting thing? I was very honest with my parents. And my parents knew about these things, they, like, but they knew I was not being derailed by God's grace. And if I look back, I say, God, thank you for my parents' wisdom because one day, July it was a hectic time of life, but July in my final year, my dad comes to me and he says, Marcel, can I quickly speak to you? And I'm like, yeah. He says, I just want to remind you of something you said to me when you were 16. God called you to kingdom. And he said, I just want to remind you of that. So maybe you should maybe consider getting your life geared for that goal. He didn't say anything else. I can remember I went to my friends and I said, this is where it ends, guys. I lost most of my friends then, and I realized, I, I could remember from that July, I got serious, I got myself ready to go to a, a Christian school after um, I finished um, high school. All my dad had to do was give me the big picture, and I abandoned the things that caused me to failure, fail. 
This morning we sang, we say, we sang that, that raise a hallelujah, we were singing, from the ashes we will rise. I want to encourage you today, whether you're a parent or you're an individual, maintain spiritual inertia. Stop chasing after perfection that causes you just to stop, 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 stop. Ask God for the bigger picture. Allow that to navigate your life. Allow that to navigate the life of your child. And that's really all I have to say this morning. So Lord God, thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you take five pages of notes and that you turn it into something more. But I pray that as each person goes home today that you help us to pursue, pursue the bigger picture, whether it is for our child or whether it is for our own life. I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and stir in us a, a desire to just take a moment to sit down and hear from you what is the bigger picture. Help us to maintain spiritual inertia, Father God, to keep the momentum going, to navigate the extreme highs and lows. And we just ask it in your name. Amen.